money, deals, tribal knowledge, resources, training, coaching, partnering. We are Texas's largest real estate investor association at texasstarterkit.com. My name is Shanoa Grove. Welcome to the show. Already, folks, we're, uh, we're going to be starting the regular meeting uh, shortly while we're waiting to do that. Uh, I'm going to warm up the crowd. So uh, we got some investors here. Anybody working on a project? Anybody got a project they want to tell me about? Got a lead, maybe? You have a lead? What do you got? Strip center, okay. So it's a commercial property, obviously. Okay. Do you own it or you're looking at potentially buying it? You own it now. Okay. Um, is, it, is it occupied? How many, property, how many uh, uh, tenants are there? Ten tenants. Are they all occupied? So what did you buy this for? Is it a cash cow or are you going to do something to improve the uh, value of it? Or what do you, what did you, why did you want to buy it? Okay. So it's a commercial property and your goal is to just, uh, there's existing leases in place before you bought it. Are you planning to increase the rents and increase the value? Is that kind of the plan over time? And did you get any loan with it or did you buy it for cash? You got a loan for it. Is it cash flowing? Okay. So a lot of people here are probably mostly knowledgeable or interested in residential real estate. We also do commercial real estate. And the idea with a commercial property is to sometimes buy a property like you did, a strip center, uh, to get cash flow out of it, which you can get nice cash flow out of it. The way you make money on a commercial property is by increasing the net operating income of the property. And the net operating income of a commercial property is all of the income minus all of the uh, operational expenses. In residential real estate, it's different. Residential real estate, you can have two identical properties in the same subdivision that are the same age, same size, same features. They're gonna have the exact same value. In commercial real estate, on the other hand, you could have two exact identical properties right next to each other. Same size, same age, same feature, same everything. But if one of them generates more income than the other one, that property is actually worth a lot more. So one of the ways you make money in commercial real estate is you buy a commercial property and then you raise the income and or reduce the expense and then potentially sell it for a big profit. Or of course you could keep it, like it sounds like your plan is to keep it. Are you gonna keep it indefinitely or you don't know? Okay. So you did something very clever. When you sell a real estate property, you get profit. Hopefully, if you did it right, sounds like you did it right. And of course, when you get profits, you have to pay taxes on the profits, but not necessarily in real estate. If you use the money from the sale of one property to buy another property, all of the taxes are deferred. So what some real estate investors do is they buy a property, goes up in value, they sell it, and they use the money to buy another property, goes up in value, sell it, and you can continuously defer the taxes potentially for forever and just leave it to your kids to figure out when you're gone. But you, of course, get the cash flow in the meantime. So it's a fabulous tax tool for real estate investors to be able to make money uh, tax-free. Now, I'm just curious, what kind of tenants do you have in your property? Okay. Is this a medical office of built, uh, facility? Some restaurants. Oh, okay. That is a mixed, real, real mix. Yeah. 
So are these triple net leases? Okay. So the nice thing about this type of an investment is usually there are long-term leases, especially medical things, and usually the rent is guaranteed in the lease to increase every year. The other nice thing about a triple net lease is that any increases in expenses like taxes are passed on to the tenant, so you don't have to worry about that. The only thing you gotta worry about is that you lose a tenant, right? And you know some tenants are more stable than others. Somebody's got a dental business and they've been there for many years, uh, odds are they're gonna be there for many more years. Somebody's got a brand new restaurant, I don't know, right? Most brand new restaurants don't work. During that pandemic, we had a lot of strip malls that didn't do so well because restaurants and various businesses had to shut down during the pandemic. So depending on the type of business, you may have more or less stability in the tenant base. And depending on the location, you know, it could be a better or worse pace uh, to rent. Do you have any questions about the investment? So what are your goals with house? Cash flow or appreciation? Okay. Where did you buy them? Okay, but how did you find them? Did you find them with a realtor in the MLS or did you find them off market? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not gonna get a big discount. If you're gonna flip a property, you gotta buy it at a 30% discount. Because generally speaking, I'm giving you very fast and dirty numbers. Your overhead to buy, hold, and flip is like up to 15% depending on the cost of money. So if you buy it at 30% discount, you make about a 15% profit. Um, you're never gonna get a property from a builder at a 30% discount unless the guy is literally in bankruptcy or pre-foreclosure. You're never gonna get a deal from a realtor in the MLS at a 30% discount. You gotta go off market uh, to find those types of deals. Um, in Texas, you're probably also not gonna get much cash flow out of residential real estate, but you can get fantastic appreciation. So let's talk about how, if you wanna flip some houses, we can get some off-market properties, maybe at a bigger discount that we may be able to make some good money on. Question. So, great question. So how do you get off-market properties? The answer is there's not just one answer, there's about 65 different things. Yeah, and I'm gonna go through the list uh, today. So tonight, so that's gonna be part of my presentation. And um, there's not a silver bullet. Everybody's like, well, what's the best one? And the answer is they ebb and they flow, right? There's all these different lists and methods, but they ebb and they flow. Marketing is a continuous experiment of trying things. When it works, you double down. When it doesn't work, you stop doing it and try something else. So I'll give you an example, the foreclosure list. You can get a list of houses going to the foreclosure. Right now, I, I used to do marketing to that list. Right now, I'm not doing marketing to that list because everybody else is. And somebody ends up getting uh, on the foreclosure list and they open their mailbox and 300 letters fall out. And they're like, ah, right? and it doesn't work. Now eventually all the people pummeling the crap out of that list are gonna say this sucks, it doesn't work, and they're gonna stop doing it, and then it'll work again. And that's why marketing is an ebb and flow. Great question, so what do I think about the auction? I don't like the auction. And the reason I don't like the auction is if you go to the auction, I've been to the auction many times, I've done all of this stuff. I've been a real estate investor for 20 years, I'll tell you a little bit about myself a little later. But um, the problem with the auction is there's 300 guys bidding on the property. And some of them are stupid. And I have a rule. I don't wanna compete against stupid. Well, I don't wanna win competing against stupid, right? So, and that, that's the problem. There's always gonna be somebody who gets excited, who just wants it for an emotional reason instead of a financial reason, right? And you can't compete against that. So there is a process, I have friends that, 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 that buy at auction. You do research on all the properties going to the auction. 
and you figure out what you'd be willing to pay, what your maximum strike price is, offer price is, and you just bid on all of them. And you bid it all the way up to your max, and then you stop. And then sometimes, you know, the people at the auction run out of money, and you'll get, you'll get some. You'll get some. Now, one other thing about the auction, you've got to pay for it right there. Right there. Right? So you got to, as soon as you win the bid, you got to pay instantly. Right? And it can't be like a check. Right? It's got to be money. So what people do at the auction is they get a bunch of money orders. Right? Let's say you're bidding on a $250,000 uh, property at the auction. You don't know exactly what you're going to get it for, right? You, you, but you got to pay right there on the spot. You got to pay exact, like to the dollar exact. So what you do is you get a whole bunch of, uh, you know, um, certified checks for 10,000 piece made out to your, you. You endorse them all over, and then you have, you know, another $10,000 in smaller bills, right? So you can endorse the checks over and then pay the difference out of the cash if you buy something with the auction. And uh, that's, how, that's how it works. You go to the auction with a whole list of properties you're going to bid on, you know, hoping to, to pick one up, maybe pick up two, and, and have the money ready to go if you win the bid. Okay, who else is working on a project tonight? Who else is working on a project or has any questions about real estate? We're doing a little warm-up, folks. We're going to have the main presentation shortly. Anybody got a lead they're working on? No leads? A deal they're looking at? Anybody looking at a deal? Oh, nobody's looking at a deal. So is everybody here a brand new real estate investor? That's okay. Usually about 75% of the people that come to our meetings are brand new real estate investors, and that's okay. We're going to give you some training, even for brand new real estate investors. Uh, but usually about 25% are doing something, right? So has anybody uh, got a project they're working on? Maybe a lead or something you're looking at? Yeah. Go ahead. I'll, I'll let you go. What are you working on? You, you own some land, you want to put a house on it. Okay, so um, did you buy the land recently or have you owned the land for a while? Owned it for a while? Family land. Okay, so the question of course is um, what is the dollar per square foot that the houses around you are selling for? Do you know what the answer to that is? So you gotta figure that out. Like if the houses around you are on average a thousand square feet and they're selling for $200,000, that, that'd be $200 a square foot, right? So that's what you gotta figure out. Like what's the dollar per square foot that the houses around you are selling for? And then you know whether it makes sense to build a house on that lot or not. So if all the houses are selling for $150 a foot and it's gonna cost you $180 a foot to build a house, it's not worth building a house, right? Now if all the houses are selling for $400 a foot, and you can build for $150 a foot, yeah, then you're gonna build as many feet as you can, right? You wanna build as much as you can, because for every dollar 50 you spend, you get back four, right? But of course, you can't build bigger than whatever the neighborhood is, is supporting, right? You don't wanna be the biggest house in the neighborhood. But that's the first thing to look at, is what the dollar per square foot is of comparable houses. That's, that's what is selling uh, in that area. There's some land, I have no idea where your land is. Is it, is it in the city? Is it near a lake? Has it got a view of a lake? On the lake? It's on the lake? What's that? Real close, okay. Well, I will say lake is different, you know, close is not the lake, right? You know, it's like, if, you know, near the lake is good, it's got a view, but on the lake is a completely different thing. Like you, you, you look at property values on the street that is along the water, and the houses on this side of the street, they're actually on the water, sell for like four times as much as house on that side of the street, which is close to the water. So 
but close is good. I mean, it probably has a view of the lake and you know access or whatever. But you still have to do that math. You got to figure out what the dollar per square foot is. There is land, probably not that land, but there is land in te Texas. Got a lot, of, a lot of land, and there's some land in Texas, which not worth building on, because when you look at what it costs to build, and you look at what you could already buy, you could already buy something for less than it costs to build something new, right? So obviously, you want to do something that makes sense, not just for you know emotional reasons. Yeah, if you're building it for your own use, that's a whole different thing. But uh, you gotta you gotta look at the dollar per square foot. Yeah, like a ranch or a, a ranch that's been subdivided into a bunch of lots. Well, okay, so Texans love their ranches, and you can do a lot of things with ranches. Like you know, there's ranches, and then there's like ranchettes, right? You know, like 10 acres versus like 100 acres or whatever. What a lot of uh, developers are doing is they're buying like a 100 acre parcel and they're chopping it up into four 25 acre things and then they're selling them off as ranchettes right or sometimes as little as like 10 acre ranchettes obviously you got to make sure you have access roads infrastructure utilities that sort of thing but yeah there's definitely a play to be had right but of course you have to say okay what is you know 100 acres sell for what would 25 acres sell for it would four times 25 be greater than one times you know 100 what's that Okay, so the comps are the comparables, and that's a good question. So what are the comps? And, you know, when somebody comes to me with a deal and they say, I couldn't find any comps, red flag, okay? You know, red flag. So what you're telling me is you want to do something that 100 people haven't already done already, right? I couldn't find another 4,000 square foot in this neighborhood. Well, that means nobody is selling 4,000 square foot in that neighborhood, which means there may not be anybody in the planet that would want to buy a 4,000 square foot house right, in that neighborhood. So I don't know if I want to build a 4,000 square foot house in that neighborhood. So if you can't find comps, you're gambling. Could it work? Yeah. Or, or no, right? But that's gambling, right? And, you know, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not much of a gambler. When it comes to real estate, if 100 other people did something, like there's 100 other comps, like 100 people sold a 4,000 square foot house in this neighborhood, I'm pretty sure I could sell a 4,000 square foot house in that neighborhood, right? But if I can't find anybody else that did that, I don't know, I'm probably out. Because I don't wanna be original, I wanna make money, right? And there's no guarantee if you're trying to do something 100 other people haven't done already. So who else has a question or is working on a little project? Somebody else looking at a deal? To rent it out, okay. So do you want to live in part of it? Okay, good. I hate that idea, right? People come to me all the time, like, I want to rent, uh, 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 I want to live in half and rent at the other half. And like, there's, that's, that's a bad idea on 16 different levels and we can go there if we need to. But you want to buy this thing to rent it out. And is your goal like to get cash flow out of the property or appreciation or what do you really want to get out of this thing? Okay, so somebody else renovated this thing and now they want to sell it okay most of the money they already made right so well you know I don't want to be in a neighborhood necessarily full of renters I want to be the only renter property in the neighborhood to be honest with you so that doesn't that doesn't bother me like the the quality of the neighborhood that that kind of bothers me because that'll affect my appreciation potentially right but you know you can figure out uh, with the help of a property manager uh, realtor rents properties, they'll tell you the comps. They'll tell you what the rents should be. They, they can tell you with great precision. 
oh, these should be able to be rented for X dollars a month. You can go and get a loan. You can figure out what it costs to buy, you know, what your payment's gonna be and what your cash flow is gonna be. I'm gonna tell you in Texas, you don't get a lot of cash flow from rental properties for a lot of different reasons. That's a whole conversation uh, of its own. But you can get great appreciation depending on where the property is. So I own a portfolio of about $30 million worth of rental properties. The truth is, on a $30 million portfolio, if you add up all the actual cash flow after expenses on a $30 million portfolio, what's left would not pay for a really, really nice watch that I own. It just doesn't generate much cash flow. And anybody that says like rental properties generate a lot of cash flow, not really. I mean, everything's relative, but I mean, it's like, oh, this rental property is getting me $500 a month, you know, cash flow, right? And, and that happens month one, month two, month three, and then boom, hailstorm, new roof, right? Doesn't cover it all by the insurance, uh, $4,000, you just wiped out eight months of cash flow. Okay, we're making money, we're making money, boom, new air conditioner, $9,500, you just wiped two years of cash flow. Right, okay, we're making money again. Boom, new tenant, new make ready, uh, $8,000. You just wiped out another year and a half of cash flow. So every time it seems like you start getting a little bit ahead on the cash flow, you know, you lose a tenant, you're doing a make ready, you have to do a repair. It, it, it's just, there's, you know, I'm sorry, cash flow, you don't get a lot of cash flow, okay? To be honest, and I have friends that have a lot more real estate than I do, and they're gonna all tell you the same thing. You got lied to if you were told that there's big cash flow to be made in rental properties in Texas. I'm sorry, that's, that's a myth, okay? Now, can you get some? Maybe. But what is the play? What you can get a lot of is appreciation, right? Especially if you buy in the right areas. So I have a $30 million portfolio. At this point, I owe less than five total debt on a 30 million portfolio. Why? Because over the last 20 years, my property doubled in value, doubled again, some of them doubled a third time while the tenants paid off the mortgages. So even though I haven't gotten a lot of cash flow out of these properties, I've become millions of dollars wealthier because of the property. No, I only have Texas. Yeah, I, you know, um, I'm a big believer. Well, first of all, Texas is like one of the greatest markets in the country, right? Number one, I don't like to invest in things I don't understand. I can't see and touch, right? I see people lose a lot of money when they invest from afar. If you ever do invest in a place you don't live, you better have solid knowledge and trusted boots on the ground, right? Because it's just dangerous. You're investing in things you don't fully understand uh, with people you may not completely know, uh, in markets you don't have control over, something goes wrong, you're not there. I mean, it's just, it's, it, it gets exponentially riskier investing from afar. I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm just saying the risks go way up. And, and I'm a pretty experienced real estate investor, but it's not worth it for me. Uh, but you know, here we go. Texas is like one of the greatest economies in the world, the greatest state in the country. There's all the opportunity in the world. Texas all by itself is the ninth largest economy in the world. There's only uh, one state and a few other countries bigger than Texas, right? So there's lots and lots of money and opportunity in Texas. Uh, I would argue you don't need to go outside of Texas. You could, but I mean, I, I don't, I don't have any need to do that. You know, it's, I, I think it's a bad idea on so many different levels. Okay, for number one, okay, I'm sorry, people are gonna maybe be offended here. Your tenant is not your friend, okay? I don't want my tenants to even know who I am. If my friend is in trouble, I'm gonna help my friend because they're my friend. 
But the last thing I want is to be friends with all my tenants. And then when my tenants are trouble, now I have to help all my tenants, right? So whether you help people or not, that's a friend decision, not a business decision, right? So you need to separate it, right? Well, that's part of it. You don't even want your tenants to even know who you are, let alone live next to you, let alone be your friend, okay? So number two, I hate to say it, but managing rental properties, how many properties should you own before you hire a property manager? Anybody know the answer to that? No, that would be one. <laughs> okay, one. You should never manage properties. I hate to say it, managing properties is a minimum wage activity, okay? And it's like you should spend your time making money, not saving money. You should spend your time getting another rental property, not saving a few bucks managing the property you have, right? Every minute you're spending collecting rents, doing with make readies, fielding phone calls from angry tenants complaining about stuffed up toilets, that's a minute that you're not spending doing something productive, like finding another deal, doing another deal, making money, right? The abundance mindset says we need to focus all of our energy on how to make more money. The scarcity mindset says we need to make as much as we can with what we have now, okay? And most people are programmed, myself included, from birth with kind of that scarcity mindset you've got to change, you've got to get the abundance mindset. And that means don't do the minimum wage activities, which means don't manage the property yourself. Now, number three, I'm going to tell you buying two single family houses will get much better appreciation than one duplex. So I'd rather see somebody put their money into two singles than one double, okay? So there's three great reasons not to rent out half and live in the other half. Yeah, absolutely. Other questions, yes, sir. Well, you know, if you buy a rental property, you're probably gonna own it for several years. Most people don't buy a rental property with the idea of owning it for one year. They're gonna own it for five or 10 or 15 years. And if you look at where does the money come from, from a rental property? Some of the money comes from the income, cash flow, all, right, all income, right, minus all expenses, uh, plus all appreciation. That's your total return on investment, right? So some of the money comes from the cash flow, some of the money comes from the appreciation. But if you look at a rental property over a period of 10 years, in almost every case, appreciation trumps cash flow 10 to one. So most of the money comes from the appreciation and not from the cash flow over a period of time. So you better have that in mind. And I'm gonna tell you some properties appreciate much better than others, okay? Suburbs do not appreciate well, inner city does. Why? Real estate is all about supply and demand. Okay, in the inner city, there's no more supply. All the lots are pretty much built on. In the suburbs, they're still building. Because you're competing with new construction, as long as you're competing with new construction, the value can't go up much more than, you know, inflation rate goes up. But in the inner city, you have more people moving in. There's no more supply, but there's growing demand. That's where properties double in value and double again. They, they just have to. So when the market softens, suburbs are already the first thing to go. The inner city is the last thing to go. So if you want high appreciation, go inner city. But I will tell you, as a general rule, you also have this going on. The higher cash flow properties get less appreciation, right? The higher appreciating properties get less cash flow. And this is where people get tricked. They think they're buying for cash flow and they get high cash flow, low appreciation. And then over a period of time, they don't make, over a period of 10 years, they don't make nearly as much money. I'm just saying over a period of a decade, which is how long you're gonna own the property, most of the money you make will come from the appreciation and not from the cash flow. 
okay? And you know, for the best cash flow, go low. That's the other side. You want great cash flow, buy slums. The worst properties, the slummiest properties get the best cash flow, but they get the worst appreciation. But if you look at them over time, you know, that's not where most of your money comes from. So I don't, I don't have those properties. My goal with rental properties is to get wealthy, right? I wanna be wealthier over the next five, 10, 15, 20 years, right? So I wanna own properties that are getting me the highest total return, right? Which is that combination of cash flow and appreciation. Okay, who else is working on a project? Yeah. Well, I, and I told this gentleman some of the reasons why. I mean, appreciation, all right? Single family will appreciate more than duplexes and fourplexes and triplexes. Sorry, okay, so that's number one. Number two, you never want to tenant to even know who you are, let alone live next to you, right? Yeah, okay, okay. Okay, so two single families over a period of 10 years will more than double in value. One duplex over a period of 10 years will go up maybe 60% in value. Do you wanna get more than double or do you wanna get 60%? I mean, that's why. Right? One will make you more money over wealth. Now, the, 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 the duplex might get a little better cash flow. It might, a little better cash flow, but the total amount of your money that you make right, is all the cash flow plus all the appreciation. And if you look at just about any property you can name over a period of 10 years, the appreciation is 10x the cash flow. Right? That's where most of the money comes from. So if your goal is to get wealthy, that's my goal. And you know, people think it's cash flow. There's really, I'm going to say it again, and people always argue with me, there's no cash flow from rental properties. And I'm exaggerating, there's cash flow, but there's really not enough cash flow. You would have to own hundreds of houses to get enough cash flow to make a really nice living, right? So I make a really nice living flipping houses. You know, you get a, a, a cash flow, right? If it's 300 of gross cash flow, what's the net? 80 bucks? 400 is 80 bucks, 300 is negative, right? By the time you take into account property management, depreciation, repairs, vacancies, everything else, you'd have to have about 400 gross to get 80 net. But what is 80 net, right? A month, that's a thousand a year. Is that gonna affect your life or your lifestyle? Not, not at all. So let's say you find a unicorn property, 800 gross. What is that, 300 net, 3,000 a year? Is that gonna change your life? I don't think so. You do a crappy fix and flip, you make 30 grand. You find a unicorn rental property, you make three grand. And, and, and that's why you know, I, I flip houses and I have rental properties. The rental properties don't make me any money, right? The flips make me money, a lot of money, right? But the rental properties have created wealth for me. Now, I've become wealthier from accumulating all those properties, right, over the last uh, 20 years. So there is a benefit to owning rental properties, but it's not really the cash flow. And that's why I'm saying, you know, I always kind of joke and people are like, are you really telling the truth? Yeah, there's no cash flow. It's a myth. Cash flow, you got lied to. There's really no cash flow. And people always say, oh, I'm getting these great cash flow. I'm getting $500, you know, a month cash flow, right? And, you know, one make ready, one air conditioner, one new roof, one, you know, uh, you know whatever, a new set of appliances or whatever, boom, wipes out all the cash flow. One bad tenant, 10, 15,000 make ready, boom. You're, you know, there's two more years of cash flow. It's just, it, there's not a lot of real cash flow. All right, so thank you guys for joining us. Uh, that was our warm up session. 
and I just wanted to kind of get you guys started with all that. I'm actually going to switch gears, so we're going to stop our warm-up. Texas's largest real estate investor association at TexasStarterKit.com. If you like today's episode, please subscribe, comment, share with other investors, or join us directly at TexasStarterKit.com.